time for Wednesday's hour number two on Hashtag Daily K with your host, Peter Bint. Korean dramas, movies and even lyrics. Why is the world paying attention to Korean stories? From classics to modern masterpieces, time to dig deep into the charms of Korean literature. On Check It Out with Paul. It is a Wednesday. Paul is in the studio decorated for Christmas. And I like your shirt. It's kind of got some Christmas colours on that was it. What's the plan? I What's like the plan? it. What? You're in blue, though. Blue is all part of the Christmas Christmas sky. No, it's not. Just before it gets dark, it goes kind of navy. And that's what I was imagining. Christmas Eve as the sun Why is has it got a black mask on, for goodness sakes? And the black mask... It's the least Christmassy mask ever. ...is to symbolise if you're naughty, you're getting some coal. I thought it all through, Paul. Don't act like I just put this together without a thought for Christmas And why were you being so aggressive in the intro? What? Why was I aggressive? You were like, check it out! So, you know, this is we're getting towards Christmas. It should be nice and fluffy. Full of, full of energy. Sorry, Paul. I don't know why oh, I did dear. that. It just popped up in my brain. Humans have no free will, so don't blame me. It's the environment, okay? But we do have free will. No, no, not at all. Yes, we do. You were going to say that a hundred billion times if you live this life over and over again. Uh, I don't know. We're not talking about philosophy and free will today, No, why have you brought this up? This is completely a non-secretur. It's quite depressing as well, perhaps, for some people. How's your Christmas build-up going, Paul? And wait, it was fine until about three minutes ago, and now it's terrible. I'm the Can Grinch. I just pop into the next studio and spend time with Denny? No. He's got nice stockings hanging up in his place. No, they're not stockings. They're just random fabric that a four-year-old could have made. Sorry, Denny. Oh, <laughs> they do have a hole in them Denny has shown us for presents. Because they're stockings. But they look very flimsy. I think if you put more than one tangerine in there, there would be a hole at the bottom. Denny made them himself. You know, he's not the best craftsperson, but he's trying. He is. I don't even know it's if very he's trying, trying, to be honest. <laughs> Let's get to something more jolly then. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> How often are we jolly on Check It Out? Look, there's a lot a of survey. There's a lot of pain in Korean literature. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. No, it's not the jolliest stories of stories today. It's um, okay. a short story that deals with the harsh, cold realities of winter and the hardships that some face. There's no prison. Mm. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a cold one. It's called Guhe Kyol, Winter That Year by Imunyol, translated by uh, Ansonje, brother Anthony of Teze. And it's a tale of a young man who's running away from his responsibilities in Seoul, maybe, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago. We're uh-huh. never sure of the time. And he finds a job at an inn where he experiences the pleasures of manual labour, but also witnesses the degradation of young women. Oh. And he's forced to confront himself and decide his future. Oh, OK. Yes, it's not quite that jolly of a tale, but uh, we will get into it look, after. Look, Peter, I, can, I, I do my best, you know. No, you come in. in. No, 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 no. You come in and you complain about me putting a dampener on things, and yeah. then there's this book. Well, that's the whole point. The thing is, it's my job to come <laughs> in and report on the, on the Korean literature that I report on. And right. I've done a lot of happy stories in the past, but let's face a it, lot, I've been going for almost, a lot. almost three years now, Peter. Three years... And so sometimes, okay. you know, 
we have to go sad. All right. Well, who's the bloke that's making us sad today? The bl- this is one of Korea's most rel- well-respected living authors, Lee Moon-yeol, born in 1948 in Seoul. Um, his father ran off to North Korea when he was a kid. Uh-huh. And his family ended up having to move to the countryside um, and got a lot of stick uh, for being, you know, the family of a political offender, someone uh-huh. who defected. Um He dropped out of university. He failed the bar exam three times. He mm. lost at numerous literary co- contests. Um, and after becoming a teacher, he eventually got some attention for a short story. He started winning prizes, and then he became one of Korea's most loved authors. Oh, that's a happy ending. Yeah, so he's sold over 30 million books. He's a chair professor at Hanguk University of Foreign Studies. Um, quite a lot of his uh, short stories and novels have been published in English, We featured a few of them on the show before, mm-hmm. including Pylon's Pig, for example. Yes. Um, so, yes, well worth reading. Very interesting. And he often sort of focuses on that post-war period. Mm. And the translator, Brother Anthony, one of the veterans. Yes. Quite literally. And Sanjay is his Korean title. His English name is Brother Anthony of Teze. He's been here, uh, well, over 40 years. Wow. He's published all sorts of translations, including poetry, fiction, non-fiction. He wrote a great book about Korean tea, which I highly recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and he's sort of, he's sort of a, a living translation treasure because <laughs> he's, he's in his 80s now, wow. I think, or close to. Yeah, um, yeah born in 1942, so today's, uh, this year is his 80th year. Mm. Um, and uh, he keeps going. No, no one can stop him. Um, <laughs> his website uh, is fantastic. It's a treasure trove mm. of his own writings, Lovely. translations and other people's bits and pieces. Well worth checking out. Always interesting and always translating things that may not be commercially popular, but mm. deserve to be read. Good stuff. So we're going to pick up this story today at the beginning. Uh, yes, we'll, okay. go, we'll go for the beginning. Let's check out our first excerpt. I think the time has finally come when I can try to explain what happened that winter all those years ago. I'm well past 30 now and I've got a family I have to provide for. So every morning I go out to work wearing a suit and really looking quite respectable. At last, I have come to realize that all our feelings need to be filtered over and over again and that fine phrases achieved by exaggeration or misrepresentation are nothing at all to be proud of. was more than 10 years ago. For a couple of months during the winter that year, I found myself working at a rural inn in a remote mountain village in the northern part of Kyungsang province, employed as a pangul. In the old days, pangul was a boy's name, common enough among country folk, but by that time it was simply used as a nickname for any general handyman or lackey. Needless to say, I did not originally quit school and leave home just to go and work as a pangu in that godforsaken spot. When I first set out, I headed for Kangwon province, farther north, intending to get work in the coal mines there. But in those days, people were having a hard enough time earning a living and it was no easy matter for a nondescript scruff from nowhere like me to find a job at all. In the end, I only once got a chance to go down a mine, a privately owned one. It was appalling. 
a private mine. Well, you, you can still find magazine articles on such places, so you can imagine what things were like ten years ago. On my first day underground, I saw the supporting wall of one gallery collapse on two men, burying them alive before my very eyes. I was so horrified, I gave up the idea of becoming a miner once and for all. As a matter of fact, in one corner of my little travelling bag, I was carrying a bottle with some pills that would have finished me off in a couple of minutes. And intellectually, I had always lived on what you might call intimate terms with death. But I could not endure the idea of dying like that. If you are in Jeju, 88.7 in Jeju City, 88.1 in Seogipu City, 101.9 in the Daejeon area. The song we heard was from Young Hyun, Kehaeke. Oh, sorry, Kehaeke. Winter that year. Oh, wow. Same name as the story. I wonder what came first, like chicken and egg wise. Mm, interesting. I think Lee uh, Moon Yeol was born before Young Hyun. Yeah, I wonder if this book came out before then because she's been doing music for a long while. That she has was an interesting track as well. Stacey's saying beautiful. I'm lost for words to that. Tropic Girl also say, not heard it before, but love it. Uh, Tigerish, in response to the reading, was saying, miners sometimes carry around with them some instant coffee. And Breaker saying, why does this have a kind of webtoon feel to it? We do have a lot of dark webtoons these days in Korea. I don't so know. Maybe... I'm, not, I'm not so familiar with Korean webtoons. Mm. I'm familiar more with the indie graphic novels. So mm. I, can't, I can't answer your question. Tropic Girl says, who walks around with suicide pills? This guy. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, she's wanting guys because he's a minor. No, I think he's, um, he's a troubled fellow. Mm. And uh, Tropic Girl also saying that she's, uh, she's holds Brother Anthony in a special place in her life because we sent her a book. Yes, that oh, was a that while was ago. Translated by Brother it Anthony. Was. Oh, yes, I do remember now you mention it. Uh, so he's travelling, he's doing these jobs that don't sound like they're quite his cup of tea. That pangwu as well. I've not heard that term. Maybe it's an old-fashioned one for Well, a, now you have. For a, like, handyman or something yeah, like pangu. that. Uh, then he works in the inn after all this? Uh, not quite. First he heads south to a fishing village okay. and he approaches one boat and the owner takes one look at him, looks at his pale face and his soft hands and mm. just laughs. Oh, They're no. not going to employ him. Um, and so he walks back inland, walks for five days, oh, finally no. arrives at an inn, spends the last money he has on drinks and a bed for the night. And in the morning he asks the innkeeper, look, is there anywhere I can get work around here? Mm-hmm. And the innkeeper is kind-hearted and says, well, you can work here. I can't pay you a lot, but I'll give you room and board and a bit of pocket money. Oh, nice. And he accepts. And we learn a bit more about his reasons for leaving Seoul that winter. He spent two years at university, and he's just feeling empty and despairing, and it's made even worse when a close friend of his dies. Oh, no. He's only 20 years old. He's very young. Mm. And uh, he says himself that his decision to leave Seoul was an excessively emotional one. <laughs> it's like he dreamt, if I become a miner or a fisherman, you know, I can get away from everything. I can give my mind time to rest. Um, but he's not up to that job, and so he finds himself working at the inn, and he calls that job the ultimate in degradation. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's a, it's a toughie. It, his chores are fairly straightforward. Hmm. He's got to 
get the oil lamps ready for the nine rooms each night. Okay. So he's got to clean them. He's got to make sure that they're not going to smoke or the glass isn't going to crack. Okay. He's got to sweep the courtyard. He's got to light the fires for each room. He's hmm. got to do other manual labor, bringing things here and there, delivering stuff. And it's physically hard work. Aww. But as he does it, he learns to enjoy it. Oh. And he actually has this sort of routine that he sets himself up in that becomes something that I guess he looks forward to. It's a comfort to him in some ways. Yeah, that can sometimes happen with humans. You know, when you're in your routine, you're kind of just in the zone. No matter how mundane it is, it can be in a weird way comforting. It can do. So, yeah, uh, so, yeah, so it's, it's curious. He calls it the ultimate in degradation, but there is a pleasure to it as well. Let's hear the second reading. There was a pleasure in splitting the straight-grained logs of red pine with a single stroke of the axe, to be sure. But even now I can't forget the intense satisfaction that came from cleaving at one blow those roots of young pine brushwood, all twisted and full of holes, after careful scrutiny. But the most impressive task of all was using that firewood to light the fires. I wonder what I used to look like to people who saw me. Did anyone ever realize that I felt as if I was celebrating a solemn ritual of fire worship? At nightfall, after an early supper, once the lamps were lit in the nine rooms, I would lay an armful of firewood by the firehole outside each of the rooms. Then I would set out on a pilgrimage, visiting each shrine in turn, clasping some sheets of newspaper and two large bottles. One bottle would be full of wine, the other of paraffin. The wine I used to take from the big jar that was always kept brimming full in the kitchen. My employees were not very fussy about such things. The paraffin I used to buy with some of the pocket money they provided. It was my solution to the endless problem of getting the fires to catch. By the time I completed the rounds of all nine hearths, both bottles were usually empty. Likewise, the pockets of my jacket, which I had stuffed full of dried fish and other delicacies from the kitchen to nibble as I drank, then, full and content, I would go and lie down in the little room allotted to me. Sometimes, if I felt particularly cheerful, I might return to the kitchen and knock back a few more glasses. But more often than not, I would either fall asleep at once, or lie there gazing absently at the reflections of the flames still dancing before my eyes. It sounds like he's kind of making the most of it, right? He's in this routine. He's having a drink and a little snack. and well, yeah. I don't know whether that's making the most of it or just um, settling for what he has. I, I, I like this kind of, not, not attitude, but way of maybe dealing with a tougher situation. Trying okay. to embrace it in a way. And, th and this is his routine every day, just the same again and again and again. Well, things do change sometimes. There are what he refers to as special uh, occasions. Mm. And this is when the inn turns into a giseng house. Oh. So a giseng is uh, basically a girl who entertains. Mm -hmm. um, and these girls are brought in to entertain government officials oh. uh, who've come 
to the region to evaluate the quality of the tobacco crops okay. of the local farms. Mm. And their judgment is going to have a huge impact uh, on, you know, how much money each farmer is going to make, how much profit they're going to oh. make. Because if they judge the quality of the tobacco to be poor, mm. that's not much money. If Uh-oh. they judge it to be excellent, well, that's more pennies in the pocket. Mm-hmm. So them staying at the inn mm. is a chance to put them in a good mood uh-huh. <laughs> and also gives a chance for money to be slipped to them as the girls entertain them. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so basically it's a form of bribery. <laughs> And the narrator, he witnesses something like a dozen or so women who come to work there during the two months he's employed. Mm-hmm. And he describes them and he describes sort of the contrasts of their lives. On the surface, their lives are filled with gaiety. They're dressed elegantly. They look beautiful. Mm. But at the same time, he also sees the insults they have to endure Ugh. and the degrading situations that they find themselves in. The mm. way that they don't eat anything after breakfast so that they consume more of the delicious delicacies and expensive drinks with the clients. Because that's the behaviour that's been sort of drummed or maybe even beaten into them when they worked in the city brothels. And he talks about the individual women and he talks about their individual traumas. There's one who's uh, a young mother who has to leave her baby at home to come to work and she can't sleep because her bosom is swollen with milk. She's in pain. One woman cries every night because she misses her family. There's one whose body is covered in whip scars and cigarette burns from a past relationship. Um, These are not happy women, and they're not treated well. And as he continues to work there over the two months, he begins to hear voices in his head. There are two contradictory voices. One keeps mocking him for his decision to leave Seoul, calls him a coward for putting things off. And the other is like a concerned parent, worried about him wasting his youth and his talent, that he's being left behind. Mm. And then there's also another voice which is outside his head, and that's Miss Yoon. She's a newly arrived Giseng who keeps on following him around and pesters him. She keeps asking, are you a poet? Oh, do you know my old boyfriend was a poet when I was back in Seoul? And she keeps talking about the old boyfriend. Interesting. And bothering him and asking him questions and making up fantasies about his life, about who his family might be, who his parents might be, his past relationships. He tells us that she used to drive him almost crazy. Okay. And then there's a fourth voice. The fourth voice is the voice of the deputy head of police who keeps calling him into the police station because he's suspicious. About what? He wants to know what he's doing here. You're a student from Seoul and you're here at an inn working Mm. as a pangu. What are you doing? Oh, is there something to that suspicion, I wonder? So I decided to leave that place. One morning, as the frost sparkled on the branches of the persimmon tree next door, I bade a brief farewell to my employer at the inn, nobody else, and walked briskly out of the town. There is only one other thing to mention in my recollections of that spot, and that is my strange parting with Miss Yoon. I had already gone a couple of miles when I heard a voice calling me from behind. It was Miss Yoon who had somehow learned of my departure, She ran up, panting, and I'm sure she would have flung her arms around me if I had not deliberately adopted a hostile expression. Abruptly holding out something wrapped in pretty paper, she said, It's a handkerchief. 
I had it all ready for you. I knew you'd be leaving soon. She paused, then added in a sad voice, That man wasn't really a poet. He was a swindler. He beat me up and took all my money. I did so want to love a poet. Will you remember me for a long, long time? The girl's eyes were moist, and that was the only time I felt she did not look stupid. When I think about it now, I rather wonder if she was not a poet herself. Oh, you really feel for that girl in particular, but yeah. maybe all the girls. You also feel a little bit for him. He's kind of just a, a wanderer. He is. He's young and foolish, and he's he's possibly made a big mistake. Mm, but yeah. he spends his two months doing that that winter. Oh, and that's the end of the book, that's pretty it. much. Wow. It's a short story, yeah. Yeah, and Tropic Girl commenting that, yeah, of course, these key sayings, their lives cannot be all filled with actual gaiety. They're definitely being exploited at the end of the day. And we get to kind of see that right through this story. We do. It's a terrible situation for them. No matter how pretty and elegant they may look on the outside, they're suffering. Mm. Um, Tigurish Eeyore saying, Serious question, Paul, how do you decide which excerpts to read each week? It's an amazing tale, saying every week. Thank you, Tigurish Eeyore. It's a difficult one, especially when it's a very short story like this. Mm. That is available online for free to read if you want to read it, I nice. should say. Um, I try and pick moments that, that can stand alone in some way and give you a flavour mm. of the book. Um, it can be quite difficult sometimes because, of course, we're a family-friendly radio station. Yes. So I have, to, <laughs> I have to be careful with the language used and also some of the subject matters. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think very, very carefully. It's very important for me that I, that I choose the right bits, the representative bits. And no, Tropic Girl, <laughs> I do not choose three numbers between 1 and 85 or ask my wife to do that. <laughs> That's also a great way. Uh, Tropic Girl, though, saying seriously, it's very deep, deep. There's something about loving a poet as well. They could always get under your skin. Seems like, yeah, maybe he's right. Maybe she was the poet herself or, or, or like she was doing in her mind, kind of trying to remember her previous lover as a poet rather than someone who just beat her up and took her money. Yeah, it's also for him getting over his intellectual snobbery mm. as a university student from Seoul. Okay. Um, I think I think there's a big danger when you're young and you're doing well. Mm. And that could be because you're going to university or because you've got a good job or because you got promoted, that you think of yourself as better than other people. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. And some people don't learn it, mm. even as they get into adulthood or maybe become the richest man in the world. Um, but <laughs> it's important to note, and I think this is a moment of revelation for him, where instead of seeing her as an annoying object... Mm. At this moment, he sees her as a real human being and he's changing. This is 10 years ago. He's a changed man now. Mm. And one might consider this to be maybe that first stepping, stepping stone to becoming a real adult. Is that the tale's perspective, him talking about this from 10 years ago? That's, that was in the first reading, Peter, okay, if you weren't yes. listening. Yeah, in okay. the very first reading, it did say that was 10 years ago. I was listening, winter. but I forgot. Uh, this is not like a factual biography or anything. I don't think so. It's hard to tell with Imunyel because a lot mm. of his stuff is related to his life, uh -huh. to his experiences, to his imaginings about what he's life could be mm. um he did live in the place where this book is set it's a real place oh wow yeah it's called doodle mm -hmm. or doodle village 
It's located in Yongyang-gun in Gyeongsangbuk-do province. And he lived there for three years as a little kid and then two years as a teenager. So it's possible that he witnessed some of these moments, um, but it's hard to tell what is real and what is fiction with him. Mm, Um, And you can go and visit this place. I have to say, if if you're interested in Imunyo or interested in sort of the setting of literature, Dudulmaul is there. It's also the home of the Kwangsan Munhak Yonguso. the Kwangsan Literature Research Institute, which, sadly enough, um, burnt down earlier this year at the oh, end of no. June. Yeah, it was where he had a writing room. Oh, was set up back in like 2001. writing? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, well, it's sort of dedicated okay. to him. Um, it was a beautiful Hanok building. Uh, its loss has been deeply felt. However, the village is still there mm. with beautiful Hanok buildings, and they're building what is probably, hopefully, going to be named the i m u n y o l Literature Museum. Wow. Um, and the village has, you know, every building is a traditional hanok. <gasps> it's got the old house of Chosun scholar Yi Shimyung. Wow. It's got a book cafe. It's got a food experience center, a food education center, and a food exhibition center. Wow. And all three are dedicated to the life and work of one of i m u n y o l s ancestors, Zhang Gehyang. Who was famous? Yeah, she was a poet, a painter, a calligrapher, a mother, and the writer of the first Korean cookbook. Wow. Yes. Um Umshik Dimibang, written almost 350 years ago. It runs in the family. Yeah. So um, she she wrote down recipes and explanations of the food that the nobility, the Yangban, were eating at the time and that she was cooking at the time. Mm -hmm. So part of that um, village is sort of... focused on Imunyol and books, and part of that village is focused on his ancestor, Zhang Gehang, wow. and food. There are, like, lots of... Not lots. There are still some families who, you know, really value and trace back their ancestry, and there are certain regions, E in this case, or, or Go or Park or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you come from a particular clan. Yeah, and you still have those tolimchas, those symbols or syllables in your name, which show what generation of that clan you are and yes. stuff. Wow, even though it comes from some, some good stock, it seems like, there. And go and check it out. The Hanok Village is never a bad thing to visit, I feel. Uh, Paul, thank you ever so much for your readings today. Uh, thank you to everyone. Thanks to the Literature Translation Institute of Korea for the help with the copyright permission for this broadcast. Thank you to Lee m u n y o l for his excellent story and Anson Jay for his great translation. I will be back next week with another book. It's a Christmas book, so, sort of, called <laughs> uh, Christmas Specials by Kim Eran. Translated by Jamie Chang. Christmas specials, that's okay. the name of it. Well, it's got Christmas in the title. That's good enough, Paul. Uh, today's winner for the three-month premium membership to talk to me in Korean... Dot com. Dot com Can you put the dot com... You always well, put the dot com in there and you didn't put the dot com in there. But then wouldn't it be... Wouldn't there be a C for the dot com? You put in the dot com before, right. which meant I had to wait for the dot com. But if you don't put the dot com in there, then I'm waiting for something that never comes. There's going to be this very awkward silence. Do you want it one more time? No. Sherry Russell's friend, you're the winner. Paul <gasps> is leaving us. And... That's it. I'm, go- I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back until I'm, next Wednesday. I was going to, like I usually say, have a good week, but don't really care. So I'll What? see you next Wednesday. Okay, Paul. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> You can listen to Check It Out with Paul Matthews on Arirang Radio's Hashtag Daily K every Wednesday from 10am KST.